I want to talk about some of the ways God moves, you know, um, he, and, and it has to do with this season, you know, we celebrate Christmas, it's such a profound time, and it's, it's a time like, I was thinking about it during worship, that around the world there's millions and millions, hundreds of millions of people worshiping God and thinking and thanking him for his incarnation, you know, that who is God that he would take our frame, you know, and uh, he became flesh and blood for us. So stunning. And of course, this is the, the feast of Christ celebrated for millennia by the church, you know, a big season that for, starts four Sundays before Christmas and extends 12 days after Christmas. In America, we try to just go, you know, like it's all over, you know. <laughs> you know, the evening of Christmas, people are like, oh boy, I'm glad that's over with. Then the next day, tear the house apart, put it back together. But it's like, the purpose is not only our cultural celebration, which we never want to rob children of the joy and the wonder of Christmas, but that it's, it's a season to turn our heart toward the faithfulness of God and the amazing strategy of God that he would invade and take over. Hallelujah. <laughs> so what, it, you know, what is Christmas? Uh, to a child, I was thinking about it, and I said, hey, we have a display over here. Christmas, other than if you grew up in a Christian home, you know it's about Jesus. I didn't grow up in a Christian home, but in the, in the 50s, America had enough of a Christian veneer that I knew it was Joseph and Mary and Jesus and the donkey and the wise men. And we would do these, we would do those plays in our school, you know, like that it was just, and uh, have, you know, give speeches, play parts, put on Cotton, little cotton beards if you were one of the shepherds or wise men. And, uh, but it's a time of wonder. And it, but basically for a child, Christmas, if they think about it, it's like there's a tree, that's a signal that something good's happening. And there's gifts. There's at least a tree and a gift. What's amazing is Jesus came as the gift from God. And he had a, he had a tree that was his destiny, the tree on Calvary, where he gave himself for us. And that's the gift that we will never fully explore because it's, oh, the depth of the riches, of the wisdom, of the goodness, of the kindness, of all that he's given us. So it's always good to celebrate Christmas. He's the lamb who was the lion. He's the lamb who's worthy to open the seals and finish the whole story. Amen, amen. So Holy Spirit, would you come open our hearts and minds? And God, we, we need you, we love you, we long for your presence and your peace in our lives at all times. Thank you, Jesus, you are the ruler of peace, the prince of peace. Release it here today in Jesus' name. So God works in the dark and he knows how to set things up, you know. I have a title, it's called Light in the Darkness. 
Subtitle, Peace in the Storm. Any storms in your life over the last year? It's like, we're like, we're like the sailors who made it you know, from the shipwreck to the shore, like, whew, what a year, you know? Uh, but God know, works in the dark and he knows how to set things up. But the story itself is like all people who were basically in the dark, they didn't understand the fullness of the role they would play or that their lives would be recorded forever in the eternal word of God. There's an old priest and a barren wife. Uh, there's a teenage girl who's betrothed and becomes pregnant in the most unique way in all time and eternity. The Holy Ghost came upon her and the power of the Most High overshadowed her. Therefore, that holy thing born of her will be called the Son of God. And he was a troubled dreamer. Like, what? <laughs> you expect me to believe you, Mary? There's a, a worried Roman emperor who doesn't have enough money, has to raise the taxes. Um, there's the, and this gets the, the couple to the right place. But there, everybody's busy and all the inns are full, so there's no room at the inn, which works out perfectly. And, uh, and then there's a bunch of terrified shepherds who, for no ex with no expectation, suddenly are facing a glorious angel <laughs> who makes an, tells them, don't be afraid, <laughs> I have good news. And then this follows up with armies of angels appearing and singing and shouting, glory to God. It's wild stuff. And then there's stargazers, you know, from somewhere in the east, maybe um, northern Iraq, that's tr a traditional spot, who see a star and follow it. And then there's the treacherous king who says, come back and tell me where he is so I can go worship him. And his worship wasn't very good. Anyway, help us, Jesus. But so here's my first point. Okay, that was all introduction. God uses disasters. Anybody had any disasters? <laughs> okay, and here's the thing, that it teaches us the sacredness of circumstances that we're in. We're not under circumstances, but we find ourselves in circumstances, and, and we're in it, but we're not of it. And it's sacred. Your life, every moment, all your days were written before one of them yet came to be. Psalm 139. So here's, here's an example. The worst disaster in the world for humans and for creation happened in Genesis 3. In Adam, we all died. All creation was subject to futility. And God comes, makes some clothes, for the, the people, and, uh, and then he says some things that don't sound great to them, but at least you know, he's still talking to them. That, there's hope in that. And then he preaches the gospel to the devil. Genesis 3.15, here's what he says to the serpent. I will put enmity between you and the woman and your, between your offspring and her offspring and he shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. I like the NIV translates it, you will crush, he will crush your head. He'll crush his heel. But you know, you can get over a broken heel. But when your head's been crushed, you're done, baby. 
He didn't say, you'll give him a concussion. He said, you will cry, he will crush your head. This made the devil nervous for thousands of years. He's still upset about it. So the first declaration of the gospel was like a declaration of war. And God's kind of war. Not, you know, with artillery and atomic bombs, but like, you, you're gonna regret this, you know? And so, and, and so we have to understand that our, the gospel, like we think, why does everybody hate us? Because you're in this world, but you're not of this world, and you've actually given your life to a kingdom that has no end and is not the kingdoms of this world. Later, they'll become the kingdoms of our God and King, but we're in the middle, the messy middle. And this is really great. I love when he makes the declaration. It's pretty clear that the son of the woman is above and the serpent is beneath, you know? Like, so here's the amazing thing. From this woman who he's just deceived <laughs> and gotten authority, Someone's gonna come who's above it all, who can crush that head. And this is how God works. He just does things, not how we think he does. <laughs> this is why when people preach the gospel and declare, Jesus is Lord, that was, a, that was a very subversive statement to make in the context of first century Roman Empire. Basically, it's like, no, Caesar's not Lord. There can only be one Lord. Jesus is Lord. Thank you for the amens. Okay, anyway, but this, this is how God just works. He just surprises us. Okay, Isaiah 9. This is, we love Isaiah 6. It's been, it's been kind of a theme here. Unto us a child is born, a son is given. The government will be upon his shoulders. The name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. You know, so there's the theme. I love this verse, by the way, in the, N-E-T, this is like a little nerd factoid. The N-E-T translation, which you can get online, it, it, and uh, it's a, for wonderful counselor, they translated extraordinary strategist. <laughs> and truly, God's strategy is not ordinary. You know, he's doing things that we think, God, did you forget? Have any of you prayed the how long, oh Lord, prayer this last year? Like, oh, Aren't you glad that phrase is repeated through the Psalms, you know, at, at strategic intervals for human befuddlement? Anyway, <laughs> but you know, not only is he the Prince of Peace, but we're promised, verse seven, that of the increase of his government and peace, there's no end. And the zeal of the Lord of hosts will perform this. So, so it's like, God, are, is it really increasing? And I have to, by faith, I walk by faith, not by sight. I'm saying yes, I don't see it because I'm being deceived by a, a, a negative news feed continually. But God, did you notice when the angels appeared to the shepherds, they didn't say, man, it really stinks, doesn't it? Man, I mean, do you know the demon-possessed Roman emperor is being declared Lord and his, his soldiers are marching right here through your land, in fact, that's why you're here, because they're here, you know. They didn't say like, and it's bad here, and it's bad there, and the economy stinks, and, and the culture, talk about degenerate, like go to first century Rome, you get really degenerate cultural values. 
And uh, they just said, glory to God in the highest, peace on earth, good will toward men. <laughs> I've, do not be afraid, I've come to declare good news to you, for unto you this day in the city of David is born a savior, Christ the Lord, Messiah. It's pretty wild, isn't it? And they weren't saying like, well, did you, did, didn't you listen to MSNBC? <laughs> They're like, I mean, it's a, this is like straight from heaven. So I'm just saying, of the increase, so we walk by faith, which means our declaration is the increase of his government and peace has no end, which means it's increasing. Even if I can't see it, he's working. Even when I don't feel it, he's working, right? We sing this, we need to sing it to ourselves when we get overwhelmed. Okay, so God, God uses disasters. Second point, God rules over timing. So we, for this, we go to Galatians 4.4. The timing of the birth of Christ, the timing of Christmas, the first Christmas. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son apostolically from heaven, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who are under the law that we might receive the adoption of sons. Okay, so what does the fullness of time look like? Like, oh, it's the perfect time. Okay, well, first of all, about, you know, 600 years earlier, give or take, Judah got completely wiped out, taken over, uh, the temple destroyed, <laughs> everything they were proud of, everything they were promised, it was all like <laughs> disaster. The people are enslaved in Babylon. The base, the evil Babylon, kind of the root of, of human evil, institutional evil, it was a demon-possessed culture. Demons were worshiped. The emperor was, was fulfilled, filled and fulfilled by dark impulses. So that's gone on for six to 700 years. <laughs> but you know what good came out of it? Now, after 70 years, some of them went back, and Ezra and Nehemiah, they got the, the temple and they got the walls, but most Jews continued to live outside of the promised land, and they were scattered. It was called the diaspora. And this is actually a setup. It's a long game. But on, in Acts chapter two, we read that, uh, now there were in Jerusalem in that time, Jews from every nation, devout men from every nation. They were dwelling in Jerusalem at that time. And, and so the, the, these Jewish people were scattered all through the world, which were, they became seed bases for the gospel to reach and at all to go forth. God hadn't forgotten about them. And uh, okay, so we have the captivity and what's called the diaspora, the scattering of the Jews. We have the conquest of Alexander the Great, which happened in about 300 years before the time of Christ. And, uh, and you know, just in a very short life, he died when he was 33, I think, or maybe he was only 30. And he was a ter I mean, he was a terrible human being, but he, he was an amazing strategist, and he conquered much of the world all the way to the Indus River, you know, the current border between Pakistan and India, just like, like it was all part of the Greek empire, and he didn't just 
conquer it with armies, but he was determined for everyone to learn Greek, the Greek language, and to learn Greek culture. And so thus we have in the New Testament, you read about the Hellenistic Jews. They, were, they had been impacted by this. But what this did is, it, I mean, it seems terrible, but it set up a common language because Greek became the common trade language all the way to, to Spain, you know, like Further west, Latin prevailed, but everyone, they, they learned and they could understand Greek. And so when the New Testament was written in Greek, it could be understood all the way to Spain, all the way to Britain, all the way, you know, just like it set the stage for what God was going to do. And on top of that, which isn't really part of our history, but also true, from Jerusalem East, Aramaic which uh, became the common language all the way to the Indus Valley. Greek didn't catch on, but the language of the Babylonians did. And so Aramaic was spoken freely. In fact, Jesus in, the, in his native uh, land, a lot of the people spoke Aramaic rather than Hebrew. Hebrew became more of a, isn't that, I mean, we, we, God was in all this. Next point. Um, the Rome, Rome, as terrible as it was, brought unity. In, in uh, six, 63, AD 63, uh, under Pompeii, Jerusalem was conquered and wiped out and, uh, and because they were rebellious. And so there, but here's the thing, even though it seems like, man, there it goes, God forget, but that Roman unity is going to become essential for the spread of the gospel. Rome ruled the world from the Atlantic to the Caspian, you know, from Britain to the upper Nile. It was just like a big, big, huge empire that went on uh, and it seemed eternal. It was almost like for a thousand years, Rome the, the Roman Empire existed in some things. In fact, the, the, in, in Italian, they call Rome la città eterna. Civitas eterna is Latin. I, I decided to teach myself how to say it in Latin. <laughs> like everybody here knows that, right? So anyway, the, uh, but it, it was something like they didn't ex think it would ever end. And so the people there, even though they kept fighting against it, a lot of, there was a sense of hopelessness, like, Man, it's so big, so strong. They've got all them. They've got all seven mountains. How, how can we prevail? And yet, God. Okay. And then there were the Roman roads. And uh, Caesar Augustus, who the guy, same guy, who needed more taxes, was worried about rebellion, and so he actually conscripted ten thousand workers and set about a road building program. You know that they would build roads from from England all the way out to you know modern day Iran, and and they were they were and they built the roads so that their armies could move quickly to to put out rebellions and hot spots. But those roads became the, the way that the gospel could travel, not just overland, but there were roads like they knew. You take this road and it'll go all the way through what we would call Turkey, you know, across through Greece, and you'll get to Rome. You know, all roads led to Rome. Why? Because Rome wanted to rule the world. A little like our interstate highway system in the 50s that were built in case there was, you know, some kind of huge war. Uh, Pax Romana, there's the fifth point. Okay, we got the Roman roads, now we have the Roman peace. From 27 BC to 180, AD 180, there were like no major wars. It's like one of the longest periods of, of you know, no major disastrous wars ever occurring. And this allowed 
people to travel and people, because things weren't off limits, things weren't war zones. Like right now, good luck, you know, there's countries you can't even go to, you know, right now, because there's just been wars going on. And, and it's like, this was a unique period that allowed the good news to spread. And then there was spiritual confusion, you know, like Rome, unlike, unlike um, Alexander, when Rome conquered, they just wanted power. So they didn't bother changing the culture too much. They just installed rulers, collected taxes. And so Rome itself became cluttered with all kinds of gods and religions and philosophies. And the the Romans were just pragmatic. They didn't care as long as we get money and all we want you to do once a year, you come and you bring your offering and you you say Caesar is Lord, which was, was saying Caesar is God. You know, it's like a, a state religion. We worship the government. And this is why it was so radical and revolutionary when the early Christians would declare, Jesus is Lord. It was an act of rebellion against the status quo. Hallelujah. It was, a, I should say, act of liberation. Okay, so anyway, spiritual confusion, moral deterioration. The, Roman, the early Roman Republic... I mean, they admired, and, and many continued on even into, you know, the four and five hundred, fourth, fifth century because of because Christianity kind of rescued that. But they were really early Romans were really into into ethics and character and courage and sacrifice, and they it wasn't all about power and money. It was about about being a good, upright person, and this had all degenerated and into you know, bread and circuses and sexual perversion and, and just injustice and you know, assassinations and coups and all this stuff. And so it was a big mess, which meant the people's hearts were in pain. And it set the whole world up for the gospel to spread. And it was considered, like by the early church, the gospel spread so quickly that it was considered a, an indisputable miracle that within just within a century, so much of the world became Christian. By the year 200, you know, like this massive percentage of Rome itself was Christian, you know, and, and by, the, by the year 323, Constantine uh, became emperor. Actually, he was, he was, made emperor in what is today the cathedral in York, England. And because Christianity, he had a a Christian mother, grew up in today a place that would be like roughly in uh, Northwest Germany. And and that's where he became emperor and he came back to Rome as emperor. Amazing. Just a... So in the middle of what people could have said is hopeless, God's not doing anything. Have you ever felt like God wasn't doing anything? Like, God, well, you know, we thought we were gonna get this for sure. So God gives peace in the storm. So that's, we'll just focus on this for the last part. Sorry if this doesn't seem very Christmassy, but we'll get there. Okay, okay. so the background, we're gonna go to Daniel chapter two, famous Christmas chapter. That's a joke. Okay, but... Um, ne- the background is Nebuchadnezzar has conquered uh, Judah and they've hauled away all these people, including Daniel and his three friends who are, you know, they're godly young men and, uh, and they, they, they get trained, they have excellent spirits, all this stuff. And, uh, 
And so this is very important to understand the background. So this is the background, they're there, and this is the precise timing that God uses when everything looks disastrous. And once again, God is gonna declare what he's about to do. Daniel 2.1, in the second year of the reign of Nebuchadnezzar, Nebuchadnezzar had dreams, and his spirit was troubled. Evidently, they weren't good dreams, and his sleep left him. Isn't it great how God likes to preach the gospel to people that might not be ready for it? And, and so he, he was so upset by these dreams, he got all his wise men, wise guys, enchanters, sorcerers, astrologers, anybody that thought they were smart and, and made their living at it. And he said, okay, you guys, I had this dream. First of all, I want you guys to tell me what the dream was and then tell me what it means. And they all freaked out. And he said, and if you don't, I'm gonna kill you, I'm gonna chop your family into pieces, and I'm gonna cover your house with sewage. Make it a dunghill. It's only, you have to read the King James to get this. Like this guy, he, he did this several times through, you know, like he, he was just, yeah, I have no room for you, you know, so anyway. <laughs> so this is, and they freak out, they go like, ah! King, nobody's ever asked. Nobody could do this. Only the gods could do this. You know, like, please, just tell us the dream, and then we can tell you the dream. Oh, I knew you were a bunch of phonies. No, I want you to tell me that dream. Come on, you guys. I'm paying you. What am I paying you for? This is, anyway, I won't go into current personalities. But uh, <laughs> the, the, anyway, so this, now Daniel and his three friends had become part of this group. And so the news gets to them, General 2.16 or 15, Arioch, the you know, chief of the secret security comes and says, hey guys, you know, get ready because we, we're gonna come back tomorrow and kill you all because you know, the king had this dream, nobody's given it. And Daniel's like, really? What? He said, well, um, can I make an appointment with the king? This is chutzpah, you know, because he, he says, I need to make an appointment with the king and I'll tell him what the dream means. They go, really? Yeah. You know, sometimes faith is just like, I'm, I'm gonna walk right out there three feet and not break my ankle. No, I, I, <laughs> if God's in it, you know. But that's where Dan, and then the next verse says, he went back and he said, okay, guys, look, we gotta pray. You know, like if God doesn't talk to us, we're all dead anyway, so let's go for it. And so, so then this happens and uh, he, he went, verse 16 says, he went in, requested a, an appointment with the king and that he might show him the interpretation of the king. And so he, they seek the Lord and he gets it. Here's what, and, he, and later he'll come to the king and he says, oh king, you know, and he said, has all this flowery language. But he said, you saw a great figure and the head was of gold, the chest and arms were silver, the belly and thighs were bronze and the legs were of iron and the feet were kind of odd. They were clay and iron. And do you think maybe Daniel had this whole thing? Have any of you ever gotten words of knowledge? You know, like you say that much and, and Nebuchadnezzar's like, oh, yeah. And you're going, okay, keep going, Daniel, keep going. I don't know, maybe God showed it all to him on the spot. But, but anyway, so he, he describes that and says this represents four kingdoms. Each one comes from the other one. It's inferior, that's why it's lower. And notice the metal goes from precious and very soft and malleable to, to less precious to very hard and iron. That was like the, the toughest of them all. And then the feet, though, were iron and clay together, which would, gave some weakness. And, um, and, 
This actually gives a detailed description of the empires. The Medo-Persian Empire would conquer the Babylonian Empire, and then the Medo-Persian, that's the silver, would be Medo-Persian. Uh, Babylon was the head of gold, and then the, the, the belly and legs of bronze represented Alexander's, the Greek Empire, and then they, that, would be, that would die out. Alexander died, the four generals got in a big fight with each other, and then Rome conquered it all, and Rome was like tough, it was iron, except it had structural weaknesses and its feet were iron and clay. This is like, like do you understand? Like God is showing this to the guy who is the head of gold. <laughs> and in the next chapter, he builds this big statue and tells everybody to worship it. And once again, Daniel's friends are in trouble. I don't know where Daniel was that day. But anyway, so here, here we go. Let's go to chapter two, verse 44. He's telling them this, but then he gets more specific. Verse 44, and in the days of those kings, the God of heaven will set up a kingdom that shall never be destroyed, nor shall the kingdom be left to another people. It's not gonna go, well, that one didn't make it, so it's an inferior one. It shall break in pieces all those kingdoms and bring them to an end, and it shall stand forever. Verse 45. You understand, like God, he, God is preaching the gospel to Nebuchadnezzar in his dream. Just as you saw that a stone was cut from a mountain by no human hand, and that it broke in pieces the iron, the bronze, the clay, the silver, and the gold, a great God has made known to the king what shall be after this. The dream is certain, its interpretation is sure. That man, that's like faith, you know, like, <laughs> got this, and, and so, so what's amazing is he's telling Nebuchadnezzar not only what's going to happen in the, in the coming centuries, but then he's saying that he's actually giving a precision timing for when he will set up this kingdom, and it is in the days of those kings. Which kings? The iron and clay kings. And so we go to Luke chapter two, verse one. In those days... A decree went out from Caesar Augustus to all the world that all the world should be registered because he was going to raise the taxes. Isn't that wild? Like God, it's like, you know, hundreds of years earlier to a pagan king, God gives this troubling dream that causes the word of the Lord to be interpreted to him. <laughs> and he says, the dream is certain. This is gonna happen. And its interpretation is sure. And so in those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus, which got Joseph and Mary into the right place. And when Jesus was born, the situation seemed hopeless. There had been 400 years without a true prophet. And now the word of God is born into the world. God becomes human. That, you know, this, it, we, our minds can't comprehend them. So in the darkest time when it was so hopeless, imagine 400 years without a prophecy. What if the last prophecy ever given on earth was in 1622? Not many of you are gonna say like, well, heard any, what are the prophets saying? You know, heard any prophetic words on what's gonna happen? I mean, it was like they'd given up hope and then the word comes. 
who's not yes and no, but in him, it's always yes. You know, and in him, this is 2 Corinthians 1.20, all the promises of God find their, their yes. And so we, through Christ, we speak the amen to the glory of God the Father. And so he's, he's describing, so this rock is getting cut and, and released in the days of those kings. It's exactly what happened. And it was sudden, Malachi 3.1, behold, I send my messenger, he will prepare the way before me and the Lord whom you seek will suddenly, can you say suddenly? Okay, I just wanted to see if you're awake. Suddenly come to his temple and the messenger of the covenant in whom you delight, behold, he is coming, says the Lord of hosts. Now, it's like, Whoa, wait a minute. And Malachi was in a bad time too, but all this is coming together. Now, here's what we often forget, especially in, in our charismaniac culture and that we're all about faith and we're gonna, but you know, Jesus is going to come again and it will be suddenly. And four times it tells us in the New Testament, like a thief, when you didn't think it was going to happen. Paul's letter to the Thessalonians, Peter's letter, says he'll come like a thief. And <laughs> I mean, like it's really graphic. And then, not in a bad way, it's just like the earth's gonna be dissolved and we're gonna get a new heaven and new earth. And then Jesus says it twice in the revelation of Jesus Christ. Once in the letters to the churches and once in chapter 16. And he says, stay awake, I'm coming like a thief. It is interesting to me that in the last chapter of Revelation, Jesus says, I'm coming quickly. And I'm saying like, hurry up. <laughs> no. But anyway, I mean, it's just like there's this, well, we, when we think it's not going to happen, God can do anything. And it's not like he's random. He's had it planned all along. He's the extraordinary strategist. And he's the prince of peace. Okay. So, the, so what's amazing um, Later in Daniel, Daniel chapter nine, he actually, he actually gets the precise year that this is going to happen. Not just the precise time in a general sense, but the precise year. And then that can also be interpreted you know, for the future too. And, and there's books and books and books written on that. But, and not only that, but Micah tells us exactly where he's gonna be born. Do you see the particularity of these Prophecies is stunning. Particularity means that they are, they're either fulfilled or not fulfilled. It's unlike, have you ever heard prophecies like, <laughs> and I've given them and I've received them. Yay, I say it to you, Brian, it's gonna be good. Now, I just said, I say it to you, not the Lord says it to you. <laughs> you know, I mean, and we love that because the function of prophecy is to encourage, to comfort, to edify, you know, and, and, to challenge, to exhort, you know, and so, so that there's, God has given us a lot of leeway, unlike the Old Testament prophets, we don't get stoned if, if what we say doesn't come to pass, but some of us, we should switch channels, you know, like, well, it didn't happen, but next month it's going to happen. Anyway, I just noticed we've done that a bit here, but anyway, Micah tells, so God marks things, 
And it happened during this time, Luke 2, 6, that while they were there, the time came. This is gonna, the stone <laughs> cut without hands. And she gave birth to her firstborn son, wrapped him in swaddling clothes, laid him in the manger because there was no place for him in the inn. And that, from that point on, the earth has had Emmanuel, God with us. Like at that point when he was just a little baby, he couldn't talk or express it. The word had to learn how to speak. It's just, it, it boggles your brain. But he's been speaking ever since. You know, what, during his earthly ministry and since then by the Holy Spirit through the body of Christ. If you're joined with him, you're part of his body. And he's, I mean, it's like, and so, but the amazing thing is at this point when this stone was released into the earth, every calendar is marked with this event. You know, and traditionally we had BC before Christ and then AD, like this is the year AD, Anno Domini 2022, the year of our Lord. And then, you know, who knows how long ago, the devil hates this stuff, so he's trying to get Christ out of it, you know, like, we're gonna call it current era, BCE, before current era, and CE, current era. And so there, we got rid of Christ. <laughs> Except for year zero. Like, why did it change? Why did it go from, you know, it's, 520, the next year's 519, the next year's 518, to this year's 2022, next year's 2023. It changed because the stone was released that was cut without hands. I'm telling you, it's in every calendar. Shabbat Adabake. God's in charge of history, even your history. And, and the thing is, this is an unshakable kingdom. That's what we want to know. The dream is certain. The interpretation is sure. And his kingdom's different. You know, it, <laughs> all the other kingdoms came out of the previous kingdom. His kingdom starts with Christ, with the stone. And it's spiritual. It's unseen. It's in the heart of men. Jesus said, my kingdom's not of this world. It's not like other kingdoms. Now, here's the amazing thing. If you're in Christ, even though you're in this world, you're not of him. Hallelujah. And, uh, and so, but, and then the thing is that it's, it's the sneaky way of God that his kingdom seems insignificant until it's not. You know, it's like the yeast growing in the bread. It's like the seed planted. And then, you know, he was born in a stable, laid in a manger. Mary and Joseph couldn't afford a lamb for her purification to purify her from giving birth to the lamb of God. They couldn't afford a lamb, so they had to get two doves to do that. I mean, and then he wasn't a scholar. He was a carpenter. He grew up in the worst part of Israel. And and he had a short public ministry. And he died as a poor rabbi executed by an excruciating death on a cross. And it looked like the world crushed him, but in reality, he destroyed sin. By death, he swallowed up sin. He finished it. He finished iniquity. Daniel chapter nine, it says that when he comes, he'll finish iniquity. He'll put an end to it, which there's a, you know, an ultimate fulfillment of that. But in the cross, when he said it's finished, he meant it's finished. You know, and so he's done it all. We can't add to it. We can't take away from it. It displaces every other dominion. This stone, uh, I'll read an earlier passage here. 
and where Daniel's describing it, Daniel 2.34, he said, you looked and a stone was cut out by no human hand and it struck the image, the great image of all these empires on its feet, meaning it would happen at the time of the Roman Empire, of iron and clay, broke them into pieces. Then, verse 35, the iron, the clay, the bronze, the silver, and the gold, all together were broken in pieces and became like chaff of, of the summer threshing floors, and the wind carried them away. In other words, when he's done, there won't be any trace of this kind of human domination, uh, evil empire on the earth. They're broken in pieces like chaff. They're gonna be carried away so that not a trace of them could be found. But the stone that struck the image became a great mountain and filled the whole earth. <laughs> glory to God in high, that's why the angel army was shouting, glory to God in the highest on earth, peace, goodwill toward men. It's gonna fill the whole earth. Now they had, the, they had that heavenly perspective and I pray we have the mind of Christ. And we're, we're exhorted with this in Hebrews chapter 12 and if the band would come up, that would be good and we're just about wrapping it up here. Hebrews 12, 28 says, therefore let us be grateful or let us have grace for receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken, meaning it's permanent, it's enduring, it doesn't change. Let us offer to God acceptable worship and it can't be shaken. And so he's given us this word that's beyond, this gift that's beyond language. 2 Corinthians 9, 15, thanks be to God for King James, his unspeakable gift, indescribable, inexpressible gift that language can't contain. What did he give us? This was the gift that was on the tree for us. He gave us himself, Galatians 1.4. He gave himself for our sins to deliver us from the present evil age. He gave himself. What more could he give? I mean, you've been given the gift of God. I've been given the gift of God. Stand up. This is the gift of God, you know, that's given to us when we come to Christ. He gives us. That's why Paul writes to the, the Romans and he says, God who didn't spare his own son but gave him for us, how will he not also with him Freely give us all things, because all things are part of him who created all things. It's not like God's being nice, it's like you're being joined with Christ. God, you're, you couldn't pay for your sin, I couldn't pay for my sin. So God came and he paid for our sin, so thus he dealt with the sin problem, but he remained holy, and now he became sin momentarily, paid for all sin, I've done it all. But his essence, his being was not marred. And when he swallowed death by death, he destroyed him who had the power of death. And now you, when you come to Christ, you enter into his holiness. Is that amazing? You come to him, he was a stone that was rejected by the builders. They looked at him, they go, nah, that can't be it. But We've received him. He was a tried stone, a precious cornerstone. And if we receive him, he is precious to us who believe. And that precious cornerstone becomes the cornerstone of a great temple. And we as living stones are being built into the very temple of God. It's a stunning gift. 
He gave himself. How many want to receive it? <laughs> God, give us grace to receive it. If you don't know him, I invite you to come forward at the end of the service and, and receive this gift that God has given because you can't have the peace without the prince. And uh, the kingdoms of this world will all pass away, but his kingdom will grow forever. So I just want to be, follow up with the last couple of weeks. I feel like God wants to put his peace upon you. I love this. This is his gift of peace. John 14, 27, he uses two words here. He said, peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you. Not as the world gives, do I give it to you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. So he's, he gives us his peace, but he also leaves his peace on us. He leaves it, it's the same word that's used for the dismissal of sins, the forgiveness of sins. He said, I am releasing the, the human experience I had of peace with you while I walk this earth. I don't need it anymore. I, I, I have this eternal God peace now. I'm forever the God man. And so I'm giving you my human peace that will be with you every day of your lives, wherever you go. And you can give your peace to others. That's what Jesus said. He said, when you go to a house, put your peace on it. So how many, you just say, God, I want another dose of your peace. Go ahead, raise your hands. Or, you know, or raise them or put them like you're gonna receive a gift. God, Holy Spirit, we, we have grace to receive this kingdom. Pray this shalom. Uh, that Jesus walked in, in his human life, would be our shalom as well. You said you leave it with us, and you said you give it to us. So we receive this gift of peace, supernatural shalom, the conditions of Eden. God, we declare it over every life, over every family situation, parenting, marital, over every business economic situation, over health issues, over incurable issues. God, we release this shalom that holds within it every miracle to restore in Jesus' name. And you say amen. 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 So I want to say Merry Christmas, but I, I don't want to dismiss you yet. Could we just sing one chorus? Just to give thanks, and then we'll go. How's that sound? Sing this. So come and adore, bow before the King of all kings, heaven's Son, perfect love, forever will say of the name who is worthy of praise. He is the Prince of Peace. Come on, can we sing that again? So come and adore, bow before the King of all kings, heaven's Son, perfect love forever.
peace of Christ unto you. May he bless you and keep you. May his peace be upon you as you bear his name through this whole season. Amen. Release that peace wherever you go. You're dismissed. I pray. I just, there's a lot of presence of grace and glory here for healing, for breakthrough. And I just invite you, if you need that prayer, you want that prayer, you're looking for it, please come. Jesus will meet you right here. Rest you, God bless you. Have a wonderful, merry Christmas. Amen.